lunch. You're like, oh, I don't need that, right? We don't need that. That sounds like man-made stuff. Right? We're talking about spirit-filled church, right? Let's go eat. Yeah. This is spirit-filled stuff. Uh, we'll get to this. In Acts 20, 28, Paul says to the elders, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So this is not a session where I'm talking about man-made wisdom. This is a session where we're talking about how the Spirit is at work in our churches. Where I live, and I assume here as well, and where you live, there's a lot of confusion about what the church is and how the church works. And a lot of, a big part of that confusion is about the various ways that churches are led and governed. Uh, Paul likens the church to a family, but of course there are a lot of dysfunctional and abusive families, aren't there? And there are a lot of dysfunctional and abusive churches and church leaders, aren't there? Where I live, that is the main reason people are skeptical of the church because of everything they've seen about church leaders on TV. As if what's on TV is true everywhere. That's what people think. But that should not cause us to move away from church leadership, right? Instead, it should make us run all the more eagerly toward a biblical vision of church leadership and church governance. The scriptures show us that a very simple structure that God has given us, which consists of four know, categories of people or people, right? It's going to sound so simple. The structure for church governance that the scriptures give us involve Jesus, members, and then elders and deacons. And so let's start just by giving an overview of that basic, those four people, and then we'll We'll go more specifically into the office of elders or pastors, since that's where most of you are or aspire to be. Anytime you start talking about a healthy church and how a church is governed, well, let me ask you this. Who is the most important person in the governance of your church? Who do you think? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, in all of the metaphors of the church, Jesus is the ultimate source of strength and life and authority in that church. And so where the church is a building, as Femi mentioned, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And where the church is a body, Jesus is the head. And where the church is a bride, Jesus is the bridegroom and the husband. And where the church is a flock, Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so he's in charge. He's in charge. I don't care what your organizational flowchart says or your salary structure. Jesus is in charge of the church and of your church. Whatever leadership we have, we have as stewards of what Jesus has given to us. So the purpose of the church and of healthy church governance is to exalt Jesus and to grow up into his likeness. Now, the other key part of those metaphors is the people. Jesus is connected to a people. They are the living stones in the building. They are the uh, sheep in the flock. They are the parts of the body. So what we're talking about here is members. The members are not the people who validate you. The members are a vital part of the governance of your church. So uh, the church is a people of God, and therefore a local church is the people of God in a particular place and two things mark this, these people in a particular place. Two things mark membership. One, they are committed to each other. 
Hebrews 10, 23. We may have these verses. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of scripture. I've given you a handout with those. So again, you can have those for reference. But I want to show you in the scriptures how God sets this up. So Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. These are Christians, members in churches. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Whose job is it to stir up the church? The pastor's? In part. But let us. We have a commitment to one another to stir up one another. To love and good works. And not neglecting to meet together. You know, people in our city, they go to church if they feel like it. They're only thinking about themselves. And I'm trying to tell them, well, you don't go to church for you. You go to church for the people you're committed to. Let's not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some in Austin, Texas. Maybe in Lagos? I don't know. But it's, it's, in Austin, it's the same way here, right? It's the one day a week where the traffic's not so bad. I like, just want to get out and drive. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So members are marked by their commitment to each other. They're also marked by their submission to their leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We'll get to that part later. So this is what a member is, principally. People who are committed and submitted. Now, lots of people attend our church, uh, serve in various ways. But if they're not members, it means that they are still untethered from the church in really important ways. Because they haven't committed themselves to the health of our church. Right? As soon as things get hard, they can back out. And they haven't invited our commitment to shepherd them. Sometimes when I'm in counseling meetings with people who aren't members of our church, and I just have to ask them, hey, I need to know, what is it you want from me? What is it that you're allowing me to be in your life? Do you just want me to be like your friend, or do you want me to be your pastor right now? I need a commitment. Right? That's what membership is. I'm going to care for everybody. But the way that, that, that that's received is different based on their relationship. We all want healthy and fruitful churches. And I'm just telling you, that's not going to happen just because we have dynamic, talented leaders. Healthy and fruitful churches consist of healthy, fruitful members. The church is a people. Let me give you another example, Ephesians 4. This might be my favorite passage in the Bible. Ephesians 4. Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. What, that is, by the way, what he just said in Ephesians 2, that Jesus has reconciled Jews and Gentiles into one body. So he's talking about the, the one body, the church. And how, how do you walk? With humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a healthy member. In a few verses later, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, he says, Now, Jesus gave the church apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers, those are the leaders, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, too many of our churches, people come and they just want the pastor to do the work of the ministry. I want to watch and be entertained. Oh, that was great, pastor. You know, the pastor equips the people the members for the work of ministry. That's how the body is built up yep. in Christ. A few verses later, Paul says, 
we, speaking the truth in love, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head when each part, and he's talking about each member of the body, is working properly. Why don't our churches grow? Sometimes because the parts aren't working properly. Why aren't they working properly? Because the pastors aren't equipping the members for the work of ministry. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. So just before we get to the leadership of the churches, which is where you all want to get to, I just want to make the point, and I want you to see that the purpose of church governance and church leaders is to cultivate healthy membership. Not attendance, not even conversions and baptisms. Do we want those? Yes, Lord, please. please. But people who are converted and baptized must move toward membership in the church so that the body can be built up in love. All right. Leaders are part of the body. That's, what, that's why I wanted to spend some time talking about the body, because the leaders are not over the body necessarily. They don't come from outside the body. They're, they're part of the body. Uh, pastors are just members of the church who have particular gifts in leading or teaching or preaching, and so they serve the church in that way. So let's talk about elders and deacons, two offices we see in the New Testament. Uh, Femi mentioned, well, let me say this. It's so common, these offices, elders and deacons, and we're going to get more specific about elders, but it's so commonly understood in the New Testament that you see it in just random places like greetings in Philippians 1. Right? So Paul just says, hey, to the servants of, uh, we are servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, the elders, I mean, he just commonly assumes that that's what they have, elders and deacons. And Femi mentioned Acts 6. It gives us a good picture of how these things work together. Acts 6, um, there is an issue, as Femi said, the church is growing, the widows are being overlooked, there's complaints being made. And so the apostles, in verse 2, the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples. Who's that? The members. See how they're part of what's going to happen here? We don't, just, we don't just govern and then tell our members what we did in the governing. Right? Assembled the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, by the way, it doesn't mean they think they're better than that. It just means they have a specific role and calling according to their gifting. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. So the members are going to pick out from among them seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And then it says, we will appoint to this duty. We will appoint them to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So elders are not the church. They are members of the church who are called and qualified to fill leadership roles for the good of the church. So just in Acts 6, very quickly, we see that the elders are primarily tasked with oversight, ruling, right? They're, they're the ones implementing this structure, and with prayer and ministry of the word. More on that in a minute. And deacons are tasked with serving practical needs. Right? They're affirmed by the people and appointed by the elders to serve practical needs in the church. In our church, we don't have a lot of widows. We have some, but they're, they're not being overlooked. That's not the issue. We have lots of other practical needs where we have tasked our deacons. So deacons just serve by the affirmation of the people and the appointment of the elders to serve whatever needs are happening in the church. It looks very different in different places. All right, that's a, a very brief overview of, of those four categories. The church is structured like this. Jesus as the head, 
and members of his body. And among those members, some are called and qualified to lead and serve their elders and deacons. Man, it went really fast. You got like that? When Femi preaches in our church, he goes so fast because I only give him 35 minutes. And he's, he doesn't cut the content. He just tries to get the hour's worth of content into the 35 minutes. I'm trying to get it in before lunch. That's what's happening here. Everybody's with me, though. Okay, let's focus on elders a little bit, all right? Every church has leaders. Whether they're formal or informal, spoken or unspoken, it just, people lead, right? The question is, is what kind of leaders should the church have? And when we look at the scriptures over and over throughout the New Testament, we see an emphasis on a group of leaders who are called elders, Right? And, the, and the way that I want to talk about that is maybe by contrasting it with a few models of leadership that, that are popular where I am and I think here as well. Right. So first, the ecclesiastical or hierarchy model where leadership and authority come from outside the congregation. Sometimes the terms that are used for this are like bishop or cardinal or pope, depending on where you come from. Right. Often... They do not oversee a specific flock, but oversee like a, a group of churches. Right? That's the way those terms are sometimes used. Um, biblically, the terms pastor, bishop, and elder are used interchangeably. There's some slight, you know, so when you see overseer, that's the, that's the word for bishop. Shepherd is a pastoring term. Elders is used, but the way that they're used is interchangeably. Let me show you Acts 20. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, to shepherd, pastor, the church of God. So that's the verb form of pastor. Do you see all three right there in Acts 20? Elders, overseers, bishops, pastoring. Titus 1, 5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So Paul goes into places and makes the gospel mess. And they say, all right, you guys clean this up. Put it into order. Wouldn't that be a great job? I want to make the mess. Put it into order. How? Appoint elders in every town as I direct you. Verse 7, for an overseer, a bishop, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So there's no biblical justification we're talking about bishops, elders, or pastors as different levels of leadership. These are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Am I, am I pressing some buttons here? Are we okay? Everybody's okay? okay. Nobody's going to hit me. Okay, all right. Now, because I've, I've heard these terms being used even in this room, but I, you know, I don't even know how you're using them. You might be using them correctly. You know, somebody wants to be called a bishop, they just mean I'm a pastor. Yeah, I think that's how the New Testament uses it. I don't know. Pastors, elders, overseers, shepherds, they all have the same, in the New Testament, they all have the same authority and the same responsibilities. Elders, uh, rather than coming from the outside, in the, in the scriptures, the elders are, are come from among a flock, and they lead that flock. 1 Peter 5, he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Not over there. Acts 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See what it, 
elders that are among the flock. They shepherd that flock. Titus 1, which we already looked at, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town. James 5, James says, hey, is anyone sick? What should he do? Call for the elders of what? The church. Yeah. You, you know who they are. They're among you. You know their names. Just, I mean, my people have my phone number. Is that dangerous? I don't know. If they're sick, I want to pray for them. So here's my number. People need to know their elders because they're among the flock. When the New Testament talks about elders and pastors, they come from within, and the primary scope of their ministry is their local flock. That's what I'm saying. Now, the dangers of the hierarchy model is that when leaders come from the outside, uh, false teachers, abusive leaders, can rise through the ranks of that hierarchy and then exert their influence over multiple churches. This happens all the time in the U.S. through denominations where at the, at the denominational hierarchy level where people have abandoned biblical convictions, they begin to change doctrine and polity despite the protests of faithful congregations within their tribe. That happens all the time. Pastoring also is personal. It requires mutual care and trust. And so that's best accomplished when the pastors and the elders are affirmed or at least um, uh, recognized or appointed from the local congregation. All right, so that's the hierarchy model and, and how I think eldership is different than that. The second model is the anointed leader model where one person has the Spirit's blessing and, and his authority is, is unquestioned. Yeah, the anointed leader, yeah. He's the one that's got the blessing. He's the one that's got the authority. Whatever, wherever he decides the Spirit's going, that's where the whole church is going. Because no, nobody's going to say any different to the anointed leader, right? Sometimes the anointed, we call the anointed leader, he, he refers to himself usually as an apostle. Right? I just want to say, in the, in the Bible, there are 12 apostles. Okay? Now, the word apostle is still used because... In the scriptures, apostle is not a, an office outside of those 12. It's a gifting. Apostolic leaders start stuff. They make messes, good gospel messes, right? But those always move toward organization, which is a plurality of elders. That's why Paul's saying, hey, in that town where I made that mess, put it into order, appoint elders. He has an apostolic gifting. He is an apostle. Um, in Acts 6, we see apostles and deacons and members aren't elders yet uh, because the apostles are, are, are overseeing that church there because the church was just starting. But in Acts 15, look what we already have, a fuller picture. So in Acts 15, we talked about this yesterday. There was this debate of what was going on, and they resolved the debate. Acts 15, 22, after they came to the resolution, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. Look who's there. Look what they're putting into order with the whole church, the members, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Okay. Um, and so the governing structure of a church, the leaders are elders, pastors, bishops, not apostles. And, and they're almost always spoken of in plurality. <coughs> Acts 14, 23, which we've looked at, and when they had appointed elders in every church. So every church has a plurality of elders. Now listen, 
if you're planting a church, you're the first guy on the ground, you might be the only one. So don't just start appointing a bunch of guys that may or may not even be Christians or know their Bible or anything like that just because you need a plurality of elders. Give it time. But you're moving toward plurality. You're moving toward plurality. The dangers of the anointed leader model is that, you know, the Bible warns against false teachers, and what characterizes them is they, they, they work for shameful gain, and they abuse their power. Now, not everyone who has this model is working for shameful gain or abusing power. It's just a particular risk that's involved. Whereas a plurality promotes wisdom and unity and accountability. The anointed leader model uh, gives us an example isolation rather than community. And so when you have one leader who's apart from the people, what he's saying is, I don't need community and accountability and support like you do. He preaches community and accountability, get in small groups, but he himself is not in one because he's, he's anointed. See, see how unbiblical that is? When you have one leader at the top, the church takes the shape of that leader, strengths and weaknesses. And when you have a plurality of elders working together to shepherd the flock, it promotes the holistic growth of the whole body. Not perfectly, but better. Last model is the CEO model. You have, okay, good, you have that. The pastor is the CEO of the church, and elders are not seen as pastors. They're seen as like a board, an advisory board. And, and, you know, they sort of uh, work for the pastor or they um, give, you know, or they're like a system of checks and balances for the pastor. Right? But they're not, they're not called, the, it waters down their calling to shepherd the flock because they're not seen that way. Right? They're seen as like a corporate model. Uh, the dangers, of course, are that um, the way that in corporations, the way that those boards are seen is like outside advisors, but they don't have internal investment and interest in the, in the people. Uh, often in this model, elders do not sense that they are pastors with oversight or that they are tasked with shepherding the flock. It, it waters down their calling. An elder is a pastor. Shepherd the flock among you. So what I'm proposing to you is that the church does not just need any kind of leader, but rather that God has told us in his word that the church is led by a plurality of elders, pastors, overseers. So what do elders do? 1 Timothy 3 is, is one of the key texts for just talking about the office of eldership. And in 1 Timothy 3, 1, this is what he says. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So eldership is an office. But here Paul also says it's a task. It's a work. So what is the work of an elder? We've touched on this already. 1 Timothy 5.17, he says, Let the elders who rule well, so there's that oversight, ruling work, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And there's that commitment to the prayer and the ministry of the word. So governance, oversight, leadership, structures, and teaching, feeding the saints, equipping the saints. I've got a lot of verses here that would support those two. But I put them on your sheet, so we're going to skip them for the sake of lunch. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay, thank you. But they're down there. But, but I, think, I think you would just agree with me pretty quickly. Governing, teaching, these are the primary roles of the elder. 
But who can be an elder? Is it just people who have gifts in governing and teaching? Is it about skill? No, primarily it's about character, which is what the rest of that 1 Timothy 3 passage is about. Um, let's just go through it really quickly. I want you to see it. Verse 2. An overseer must be above reproach. I mean, it doesn't mean he's perfect. It just means he has integrity. He's not one person at church, but when you see him at home or in, in, in social settings, he's a different person. Right? He, he's not someone that people can come to you and say, no, that guy, you, you haven't seen him at work. So when we train elders, I talk to their employers. I talk to the people that work for them. I talk to their neighbors if I can. I want to know what this guy's like outside of here. It's easy to be a Christian here, isn't it? Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're singing praise songs. You get out in that traffic and you become a different person. Right? So he's above reproach. He's the husband of one wife. That means with his heart and mind, his eyes and his body, he is desirous of one woman. Preferably someone he's married to. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Sober-minded. Just means he's in touch with reality. He's, he's got good judgment. He's grounded, self-controlled. He's sensible. He's not mastered by his appetites. He doesn't just do whatever he feels like. He has self-control. He's respectable, well thought of, hospitable. So he's he's generous and welcoming, especially toward outsiders. He's able to teach. There's the one skill thing in there. He knows the Bible. He can explain it to people. He can spot error and help people see the error. Skilled in that. Not a drunkard, which means he's not, he's not given to drunkenness, but also that he doesn't use drink as a way of coping with his issues. Oh, I had a long day. The people were especially sinful today. I think I need a, a little drink. What? You can have a drink, but not to cope with your issues. Yeah. All right. Not a uh, no, so his temperament, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Right? This is not a guy who's always looking for a fight, always looking to win an argument, always looking to stir the pot. Do people here say devil's advocate? Is that a phrase? Yeah. Think about what you're saying there. You want to advocate for who? Not that guy. Not a lover of money. He doesn't hoard money. He doesn't live in excess luxury. He uses his money and his resources for the good of others. He's generous and kingdom-minded. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the, God's church? Because again, the church is a people, it's a family. So this doesn't mean that your kids have to be perfect because we would all have to go home right now. But it does mean that generally your kids respect their, their mother and their father they're bent toward, toward uh, submitting themselves to them. Right? There's a movement of respectful obedience. He manages household, not just administratively, but relationally. He has a sense for what's going on in the people in his house lives. He has a sense for where the direction of his family and how to move them toward that. Because these are all things that happen in scale in the church family. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. Because if you... you an, install a recent convert, the temptation and the, the risk for him is that he becomes puffed up with conceit and falls into the condemnation of the devil. So don't be hasty. Don't lay hands on a guy too quick. They need to be uh, tested and affirmed over time. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders that he might fall into disgrace and to the snare of the devil. Man, the devil gets a lot of, I have not noticed this before. Devil gets a lot of play in this text, doesn't he? Do you see how the stakes? How does, how does he take down a church? Take down that leader. All right. Let me close with this. We need to make our aim not primarily to bring our churches in, into conformity with what we think the people in our community will like or what will reach the most people or bring the most people into our church. We need to bring, make it our aim to bring our churches into conformity with the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are telling us the church is structured this way. Jesus is in charge. He is vitally and intimately connected to his body, the members of the church, and among them, some are qualified and called to lead and to serve elders and deacons. It's not simply a matter of obedience. It's also a matter of wisdom and beauty and fruitfulness. So many benefits. In these passages we read, we saw that there was unity in the church because of this. It pleased the whole gathering. There was growth in number. Now, that's not the only mark of a healthy church, but healthy things grow. They multiply. So it may not be adding more people to your church. It might be adding more churches to your city. There's growth in maturity. The whole body is built up. It grows and it builds itself up in love. Into who? Into Christ. And so that's the other benefit. It ultimately brings glory to Jesus because it points to him as the head. A healthy church says Jesus is in charge and everybody can see it. I gave that talk yesterday. I said we had to bring the sermon forward to Jesus. And even though this isn't a sermon, let's bring it forward to Jesus, shall we? And we'll end here. Who's the ultimate elder? Jesus. Yeah. One person has said that uh, elders serve the church by leading. And deacons lead the church by serving. And so Jesus is the ultimate elder because he served us by leading. Look how he organizes. He calls the 12 together. He sends them out. He commissions them. He even right now reigns and governs over his church from the right hand of God. He teaches everywhere he went. People were amazed that he taught with such authority. And, and when we teach now, it only has power if it is his word. What about his character? Was he qualified? Was it hospitable? Yeah. Dined with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Was he a lover of money? No, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. What about his reputation? People came from everywhere to see him. And even in trial, Pilate said, I can find no fault in him. Above reproach. Temperate. Well, even when he was falsely accused and mocked where we would bow up and defend, he gave up his life. He restrained his strength. Biblical elders point to Jesus. With their words, they point to the truth of the gospel. And with their actions, they point to the beauty of the gospel. And with their repentance, they point to the power of the gospel. Would your people freak out if they saw their pastor repenting? Would it, would it bother them that you had sinned to repent of? If that's the case, then you haven't preached a true gospel. Because the gospel is always ongoing repentance and faith. Jesus is the ultimate deacon. He leads us by serving. 
He washed the disciples' feet. He healed the sick. He fed the masses. He welcomed the little children. Do you see him just meeting all kinds of practical needs as a servant? Biblical deacons point to the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. This is how you know you have a healthy church governance. Elders serve the church by leading in such a way that members grow in their understanding of Jesus and make it increasingly their aim to follow him. And deacons lead the church by serving in such a way that members' needs are met so that they give thanks to God and worship him and turn and meet the needs of those around them. And here's the cool thing. When the structures of the church are working correctly, you sort of, you sort of don't think about them. It's like a good drummer in a band. A bad drummer you notice. A good drummer you don't notice, right? Because he's just, he's just holding it down. So when the structures, when the elders and the deacons and the members are working properly, you lose sight of those things because you just become fixed on the Savior. Don't we want churches like that? Will it be easy? No. But we can begin to take steps. Now, you can't go back to your church if you don't have this model. You can't go back and say, all right, we're doing this right now today. Right? Be wise. Be spirit-led. Align your people. Do what, the, do what the apostles did. Get the people together. Talk about it. Right, move that way. Let's pray that God will move us there.